welcome to Demand and Disrupt the Disability Podcast. Here, we will learn to advocate for ourselves and each other. This podcast is supported with funds from the Advocado Press, based in Louisville, Kentucky. I want to talk a little about why I was so excited to do this podcast. Um, I love podcasts. I listen to them all, all the time. That and, and audiobooks. Um, and I was listening to a podcast, We Can Do Hard Things by Glennon Doyle, which is an awesome podcast, not related to disability, but still an awesome podcast. And uh, Abby Wambach, famed Olympian and um, soccer player, was talking about internalized homophobia. And I was like, homophobia, but you're gay. This is not a secret, Abby is. Uh, openly gay and so I, I listened to her and I I thought about it some more and I was I, it it dawned on me that yeah what she was saying was that she felt that there was something wrong with herself because she had internalized all of the homophobia that was in the world around her that she saw all the time and every day and and that's the point at which I realized that I had internalized some ableism, um, an ableist messaging that I, that I wasn't enough, um, that I wasn't worthy and that disabled people in general were less. If you had told me, I thought that I would have denied it because I had never thought of it that way. But I remember very clearly when I was in college, which was quite a, a while ago, my goal was to get a job in the mainstream sector because I felt like that was that was the real mark of success was getting a real job not a job with uh, working with disability or disability advocacy and I would love to go back to my college age self and just smack her on the head for so many things but in particular for that because I have since met so many people who work in the the disability field and they are the most most kind most caring but also just most ferocious and ferociously loving, loyal, and optimistic people I have ever met. And I have been absolutely blessed to have many of these people in my life. Um, but I didn't, I didn't think of that then. I wanted a, a, a different job, a a job without, uh, the disability label attached to it. And so the, the demand and disrupt is, uh, the, the name of the podcast at demand is that we, that's hearkening back to the days of the disability rag, um, by the Advocado Press here in, or in Kentucky and the advocacy that those people on whose shoulders we stand, that those people did to make sure that the ADA got passed, make sure that disabled people were not seen as not even second-class citizens. There were times where even less than that. Um, but I, I want to honor their legacy by continuing to demand equality because we don't have it yet. We aren't there yet. The fight has to go on, and they gave us the roadmap for that fight, and I will be forever grateful to to those people. And the disrupt part of that, of that is the disruption of the patterns that lead to viewing any group of people as though they are somehow less than or unequal. 
I want to disrupt that way of thinking in the world and in ourselves because I was carrying that around with me and didn't even know it. And it opened up my life so much to so many more opportunities once I saw that there. And I disrupted that thinking. I, I said, no, you, these thoughts are not going to live here anymore. They, they are not welcome. So the, the disrupt is to get rid of those thoughts in ourselves as well as in the rest of the world. Um, that's a little about me. I'm sure you'll hear more about me as, uh, as times go on. Oh, I, I am blind also. Um, I also have a, I have a chronic illness. I've lost the use of my left hand. I used to be a writer and I do still write some, but it's, uh, harder because my writing was always done through my fingertips. So now I can't really do that. So I've turned more to shorter things like, uh, poetry and also podcasting. Cause I just have to talk. And as people who know me can tell you, I do that very well. I talk a lot. So I just wanted to introduce myself to everyone and say thank you so much for listening and for giving this podcast a try. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Demand and Disrupt, where we are talking with Dave Mathis, a longtime advocate for people with disabilities, and he is the editor and I, I guess you did some of the writing also, Dave, for a new book. Well, it's been out about a year, um, A Celebration of Family Stories of Parents with Disabilities. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Welcome. So tell me about this book and how it got started, where the idea of it came came from. Hey, I uh, was working part-time for the Center for Accessible Living uh, which is an independent living center in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, we'd had, uh, I'd had a couple of conversations with uh, staff members who had disabilities. And uh, they, we talked, we were talking about parenting. And uh, there were a couple of them who were parents with significant disabilities. And I just found the, the stories uh, they were telling me to be interesting. You know, uh, one woman um, mentioned that uh, she had had uh, Child Protective Services called on her for no reason besides she had a visual dis uh, visible disability. And a few other episodes like that. And, and also how positive their parenting experiences were. And so um, we decided as a group that maybe as a Center for Independent Living, we would, should do more on the subject of parenting with a disability. And we, uh, uh, I knew a few other parents with uh, significant disabilities. We organized uh, about two or three panels at different events and conferences and meetings where we had four people with, uh, who were parents talking about their experiences. And they went quite well. They were very well received. So, and at the same time, I kept discovering more parents with disabilities that I knew. So we decided at that point, maybe this would be a good subject for a book. Um, and we... Uh, we went forward with that idea. We felt like it would be a uh, serve as a, a model for other 
young people with significant disabilities were thinking about parenting or whether they should parenting because these were, you know, for the most part, very positive experiences despite some uh, bias and discrimination. These were positive experiences and people have been able to work out a number of uh, issues to be very successful parenting. So we, uh, we, start, we started right as COVID uh, hit, the shutdown hit, I guess that would have been spring of 2020, I think is when we started really putting these stories together. And uh, we ended up with uh, 30 different stories in the book. And, uh, and I think it came out pretty well. I, I, I think so. I've read the, um, it is, it is amazing. I hesitate to use the word inspiring as a, a disabled person myself. I am yeah. blind and I, full disclosure, yeah. am in the book. What am I, chapter 23? I I'm think you're sure. chapter 23. I'm not sure how much people had to pay you to get a higher chapter number, but whatever. Uh, I'm not bitter. I must read parent, uh, it's a must read chapter and I hope there's no, uh, well, I hope nobody thinks that the order was something to do with the quality of the story. <laughs> no, only me. Only I think that. No one else does me. <laughs> I did have is... reasons for putting place things the way I, where I put them. So, uh, so, so go ahead and tell me about that. Tell me about the the creation of the of the book. Well, what we did, and this, uh, again, this was during COVID. Uh, Jason Jones. Uh, and I had developed uh, about, I think it's seven or eight questions for the panels to use. I, I didn't have anything with the, to do with the operation of the panels. Jason was a moderator. And so there was like an eight questions that he uh, kind of used to, uh, as a guide for the panels. And so we kind of formalized those eight questions that we would, uh, well, I decided that we would use those questions for everybody's story. So there would be some um, resemblance or some similarity in what people were talking about. And when we had those questions, uh, I began um, Zoom interviews, doing Zoom interviews with people that, uh, I knew and who had agreed to take part and uh, and what I would go through the questions and uh, they would answer them that was recorded through zoom and when we sent the uh, I sent the recording the audio recording through uh, a transcription software to get essentially a transcript of the interviews and the um, Trans the transcription software works surprisingly well. I didn't have to do a whole lot of cleanup, uh, but I did do some reorganization and some uh, to uh, to turn it into a comprehensive narrative. Each so, in a sense that I didn't really write, but I did kind of mold the interviews into a story. That's true in about twenty of the thirty stories. Um, two other stories uh, in the book, two other chapters in the book are reprints from 
other publications in the past, one about uh, uh, the marriage penalty that people with disabilities face when they're on social security benefits and they get married. And then the other one was about a, a custody battle the per person with a significant disability had when he was getting divorced. And then the remaining seven or eight stories of people actually wrote their own story and sent it to me. I gave them questions to use as a guide. Some didn't use it more than others. Um, of the stories of the interviews I did, uh, people were allowed to change them. They were allowed to review what I'd written up and change what they wanted. Uh, one person did a near rewrite re re on her story, which is fine. Other people make significant changes. I like to talk about one story that uh, a person turned in. Um, and we, uh, after I got her, her story, she said to me, we, I had coffee on her back porch with her and she was telling me all these other things. So we got to get this stuff in your story. So together we kind of expanded her. So there, it was, you know, it was an interesting process and, uh, you know, we did it a lot of different ways as it turned out. Hmm, mm -hmm. And what surprised you the most? And in talking to all these uh, disabled parents, what surprised you the most? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, uh, first off, and I shouldn't have been surprised at this because I was talking to people about their families, but the honesty of all the parents uh, was pretty noteworthy, pretty amazing. They really wanted to talk about their family experience and their kids. That was universal. And it shouldn't have surprised me because, you know, people like talking about their kids <laughs> and what's more important than family to people. Right. Um, another thing was, you know, it's pretty universal that the, in, in, you know, serve people, some people have bigger obstacles to their parenting than others, you know, family members, medical professionals telling them not to do this, uh, they faced a lot of that. And I guess uh, one universal is the resolve these folks had to uh, become parents. And then the other thing I said, I would say that would surprise me, that surprised me was that there was one question we asked that basically was what adaptations or assistive technology or assistance was important to you and uh, becoming an effective parent. And uh, almost universal response to that was, well, you know, I think my children adapted to me more than I had to adapt to them. Mm -hmm. It really struck me because that, you know, that kind of um, shows how resilient and adaptable small children are. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they just, they just learn, <laughs> yeah, yeah. learn how to uh, adapt to their parents, and and that was almost universal. Huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I it doesn't surprise me that that uh, you would have people ready to talk because we get asked the question, how do you 
insert whatever all the time. So we, mm-hmm. we have lots of answers to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. yeah. Cause everybody thinks that there's absolutely no way that we can parent. Um, and you know, I, I think, I think that's true as human beings. I mean, you look at these children who, I mean, their whole goal in life is just to test gravity constantly. Yeah. And it's, how do any of us do it? How do any of us do it at all? Um, and I, I, so that that doesn't doesn't surprise me that people were yeah. ready to talk um well uh this podcast is of course called demand and disrupt and it's uh, our our tagline is advocating for ourselves and for each other and as parents we advocate for our children um but we also uh have to advocate for each other and that's something that you have been doing your entire career, even though you do not have a physical disability, am I correct? That's right. You don't have a yeah, disability. I do not have a disability. And no. but yet you have advocated uh, for people with disabilities. Uh, I mean, I met you in 1996 when we were. You worked in <laughs> Frankfurt, and I was just doing an internship internship in uh, Frankfurt. So tell me about that. Tell me about how your your life t- uh, took you to being so uh, passionate about helping people with disabilities? Well, I have no um, personal connection to disability when I was growing up, basically. Um, But I was a child of the 60s. And, uh, you know, a a period when uh, people were trying to change (laughs) the world, I suppose, um, and trying to make a difference. So uh, when I got into college, I was, uh, I knew I wanted to do something uh, in social services or something to help people, I guess, just being a helping profession. So I I volunteered. I went to Bellarmine College, now University here in Louisville, and I volunteered at what was called at the time the Cerebral Palsy School. And it, it is what the it was what the title says. It was a school uh, for people with physical disabilities, cerebral palsy, but also other physical disabilities. So I wanted to do some volunteer work and they were looking for somebody to help in there. They had a little pool in the school for therapy. And I guess once or twice a week for the entire time I was in college, I, uh, I helped in the pool. And, uh, and then there was a woman there beyond school age, but she would come in and they had set up a place for her to paint with her teeth <laughs> and she uh, she had severe cerebral palsy. She was probably in her thirties at the time. Um, and so much so that, you know, she uh, depended on others for her care and she really couldn't do much at all with her hands uh, because of the significance of the cerebral palsy. So she would, uh, somebody would put a paintbrush in her in her mouth and she painted um, with her teeth and she had kind of put something on the bulletin board over Bellman and she would like to talk to people. So 
I began meeting with her fairly regularly at the same time I was volunteering at the school. And we became really good friends over the years. Uh, we did a few things together and um, visited her house fairly often. And she was uh, <laughs> kind of encouraged me to go into the disability field. And one thing she uh, one suggested I do was uh, work at, camp, at an Easter Steel camp. There was one in Kentucky and Carrollton called Camp Kaisok and that she went to every summer. So I applied to go there. They didn't have any positions open, but they were opening a new camp at Rough River called Camp Greenshores. And I went down there as a 20 year old. Uh, and we, uh, 21 year old, and we, it, <laughs> it was just a great experience. Everybody there was for the same purpose. You know, the staff was there to, to work with these campers with very significant disabilities. And uh, I ended up going back for four summers because it, it, it was just uh, such an experience for me. And uh, I even quit two jobs to go back to, to the camp. <laughs> wow. Uh -huh. And because I graduated in 76 and didn't know what I wanted to do with a history degree. So I had, uh, I worked as a, a supervisor at what were known as sheltered workshops at the CP school, uh, attached to the CP school. I did that for nine months and then I quit and went to camp. I came back, uh, did my student teaching in history in middle school. And uh, one thing I learned is that I didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> so I got another job and I didn't care for it. So I quit to go back to camp one more time. And then from there, after that was my last summer at camp, I worked at uh, a, a sheltered workshop again. I worked at a special special education teacher for a couple of years. I worked at a, uh, a residential facility for individuals with disabilities for a few years. And then I eventually uh, got a state with, I got a job with vocational rehabilitation in a center office in Frankfurt. Then I went to the uh, Office for the Blind to work for the Cats Network for a while, the AT project, the assistive technology project. Then I went back to Voc Rehab. And finally, after all these years, I was managed to hold a job. Uh, spent another 23 years with vocational rehabilitation. So that is the how I got involved, probably longer than it needed to be. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'd see, I did not know this stuff. I didn't, I, I worked, like I said, we met in Frankfurt, but I did not know this kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's very interesting to me. Yeah, um, so that's my uh, kind of uh, intricate path through the, the field. And then after I retired in, in 2017, I went to work part-time for the Independent Living Center. So... And they're in Louisville and that's where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now tell us where uh, I'll have a link in the show notes. Look from Amazon, uh, Amazon Kindle version. Uh, where else can people get the book right now? Well, right now um, that is the main place through Amazon. We do sell it locally at the um, Carmichael books in Louisville. It's an independent bookstore. It, it's available there. We've reached out to some other independent bookstores, but not very successfully, unfortunately. And uh, we can supply copies directly from the center if somebody wanted, say, 
particularly, I wanted a uh, quantity of copies of the book for a classroom or something else. They could they could contact us at the Center for Accessible Living, and we could supply them with a, a quantity of books at a reduced price. Okay, okay. And uh, you're working on getting the book uh, on Bookshare, is that right? It is on Bookshare. It's been it on, on Bookshare. Couple okay. months. Uh, okay. Sometime last spring, it finally got on Bookshare. I had a tough time connecting with them, but it is on Bookshare. And, and you know, Marissa Roderick, uh, the daughter of one of the parents in the book, knows several people who were able to access it that way. Okay, great. Submitted. And- we submitted it to talk, uh, Kentucky Talking Books. Well, not long after we published last summer, and they still not have recorded a version. I probably need to call talk, contact them again. They were backlogged with books to record because of COVID. Ah, uh-huh. right. So many and things. Like, <laughs> can, I, can I say one more thing about the book? Sure, uh, sure. You know, one of the reasons we put it together was, uh, I think I mentioned it, to help people who, uh, with disabilities who might be considered being parents, who might consider being parents. So, um, we wanted as many different disabilities represented as possible. So I think we got it pretty much covered, although there's probably a uh, higher representation of people with physical disabilities, but we do have people with mental health uh, issues. We have, uh, of course, people who are visually impaired or blind. Uh, people who are deaf or hard of hearing. Uh, we, uh, is interesting. I, what, I, I don't think I mentioned, but about, um, I think 23 of the stories are Kentuckians, but we were having trouble finding people with mental health and, uh, uh intellectual disabilities, uh, in Kentucky who would, would be willing to talk. So there are a few folks out of state represented in the book. Um, yeah, we, so we've got all, I think if you're a person with a disability thinking about becoming a parent, you should be able to find a model in the book, no matter what your disability is. I, I think that's true. Uh, you, you I, know, I, my my uh, my oldest child is 13, and I looked for a book like this uh, before yeah. before I had him, and it there there was not a book like this. This is a, a very unique endeavor that that you yeah. put together. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that that that's, that that helps. You know that it helps. Uh, we had a couple people. There's like three stories about people who acquired disabilities after their parenthood just so we had examples of that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. People don't think about that, do they? That's no. interesting. Um, so I'm, my next interview is going to be Jason Jones, who you mentioned already, and he, he has a, a wonderful story. And all through the next season, of our first season of this podcast is going to be featuring people who had something to do with the book or uh, were featured in the book. So right. Thank you very much, Dave, for talking with us. I appreciate all all that you've done for the community over the years. Thank you so much. And I want to apologize for putting you so far back in the book. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Dave. Thank you.
We're here with Jason Jones. Uh, Jason, you are chapter three in the book, A Celebration of Family, uh, Stories of Parents with Disabilities. And um, you also wrote the introduction. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, so um, I am uh, live in Central Kentucky. I, uh, I was injured in a um, high jump and accident in 1990, April of 1990. Um, as I think I say in the book, you, you don't really forget those those dates, it was April 21st, 1990. Um, and uh, I, was a, I was a sophomore in high school, approaching the end of that year, um, about a month and a half before my 16th birthday. Um, and so we're, you know, 32 years later down the road and uh, um, went to high school, um, finished high school after getting out of the hospital doing rehab, all that good stuff. Um, and uh, as a C4 quadriplegic and C4 means, you know, I'm at the very top level of, uh, before you have to go ventilator dependent. So uh, I'm, paralyzed my chest down, but I'm also considered what's incomplete. So I've got a lot of feeling and um, I can feel most things um, and, you know, just kind of live in as normal a life as possible every day. I've got a wife and uh, two sons. Um, Jessica is my wife's name. We've been married for going on 15 years now. Um, and I have a 14 year old, well, he'll be 14 in July, Micah, and I have a 10 year old, uh, Bryce, and um, he'll be 11 actually next week. And uh, yeah. we, you know, happy we early birthday. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, he's, he's quite a comedian. He's a lot like me, has my uh, sense of humor, much to the chagrin of my wife. But uh, yeah, he, uh, they're, they're, they're really good kids and they've, they've been great. They're, they're, they're natural kids. I like to say that. I think um, one misconception of disability and parenting is that most kids are either adopted or fostered or something like that. Um, and it's, it's not the case. You know, people with disabilities can live uh, pretty, pretty normal lives and, uh, my wife and I did it the old-fashioned way, and I'm, I'm kind of proud of that uh, and definitely like to share that. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Live in Lexington. I work for the University of Kentucky, University of Kentucky Human Development Institute, and i um, been there for about six years now. And before that, I was um, worked in employment with the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation for about 15 years. Uh, my background is in, um, is in mass communication. So that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's all I got. Just, just <laughs> Excellent. More detail. Well, your uh, your story in the book is very compelling. Very, I try never to say inspiring to disabled people because we hear a lot of that. But uh, it, it was it was interesting, uh, compelling, and you know, just a very a very positive uh, chapter. I think that might be unexpected from some people. You know, that the there could be a positive stories uh, in the book. So um, uh, that one's one of them. So. What is the greatest misconception that? What do you think is the greatest misconception that people have about uh, parenting with a disability? I think that I think probably the biggest misconception is that it's any different than parenting without a disability. Well, about parenting with a disability? You know, there, there are so many parallels to the idea of parenting. What's your greatest concern about? What's your greatest some, concern about? Sometimes my, you know, um, sometimes things can be a little bit different. I mean, I'm not I'm not able to teach my son to throw a baseball or something like that. Um, but I am, you know, faced with all the same issues, the, the discipline and the making sure kids are done with their homework and that they're successful in life and that they're, they're good human beings. I mean, you know, that's something we talk about. And that's really not any different than it should be for any other parent. Um, I think that people think that it's an extraordinary thing. But every morning when we get up out of bed and go out there and, and um, try to get the kids going on their day and moving forward, it's no different than anybody else. It's not extraordinary. It's just life. Um, and, and, you know, it was a dream, of course. I mean, I, you know, there were times, there was time in my life when I didn't think that would be something that I would ever really achieve. 
And I really do see it as an achievement. And I really appreciate it when other parents understand that it's an achievement for them too. It's, uh, it's the, I think I also say in the book, it's the, the best and the worst thing about life in the same thing. You know, you, it's the amazing the things that you get from your children and the reflection you see in them. And then it's also the scariest thing in the world when, you know, you've got to protect them. And, and so I think, again, my biggest misconception is the parenting is different for people with disabilities. It's just parenting. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've found that to be the, the case also um, with the, you know, friends that I've had and things. It's, uh, I, I think they think that it's, people who are non-disabled think it's way harder than it is. It's just, parenting is just hard all around. I mean, it's yeah, a... It's, you're exactly right. It's, it's, it's hard for, it's hard for everybody. And, and you know, you, you kind of have to circumvent some of the regular ways of parenting and you have to kind of find accommodations and, and just um, workarounds. Um, but, but I, I found over the years that the good thing is that children are so adaptable. And I would, I would say they probably have adapted to me more than the other. Um, you know, they found ways to get up in my lap and they find ways to, um, to manipulate me just like they do any other, <laughs> any other parent. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, it's, um, the, the experience is definitely worth it. It's a, it's a reward and, and, um, and it's difficult at the same time. So uh, the challenges are real from They're real for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, I, I find the same thing. I think one of the things I say in the story is that, uh, my daughter said to me, uh, I thought it was going to be like one of those heartbreaking moments. when she said to me, mommy, I really wish you weren't blind. And I was like, Oh, and I thought there's going to be this big conversation. It's going to, you know, I'm going to keep it together. I'm not crying. She said, because you can't see how cute I am. <laughs> yeah. You get it put in perspective really quick, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, uh, so tell me some of the things your kids have done to, to help adjust and to, I mean, how, how do they, how is it different from them if it is at all? Well, you know, I, I think we kind of have a policy in this house, um, even if it's not written down that we show up. And I think that's that's some of the things that um, as a person with disability, there's a lot of nights when I probably don't feel like doing some of the things that we end up having to do um, and keeping a schedule with the kids. So there are times when I just have to say, guys, I can't do it. I try to minimize those as much as possible because I think it's good for the world to see, you know, I mean, I, I make people think about, is this building accessible? You know, and, and his kids are playing soccer. So is this field somewhere he can get to and those kinds of things or, or you know, we're, we're into bowling and golf. I mean, and those golf is, is usually not in very accessible places. So we make people think about, you know, well, Jason needs to be included too because his kids, you know, are important and they're part of this. So, so I think um, there are times when the kids have to go, yeah, we're just not gonna be able to do that. Um, so we try to avoid those situations as much as possible. Um, and, and you know, there was a time when you know both of the kids came through this this period where where their friends were old enough and mature enough to ask them, well, what was wrong with me, you know? And um, it bothered my first child a lot more than my second one, I think. Um, and some of that's just he's a little more gregarious and uh, just a little uh, more outgoing. But um, but it gave us a good opportunity to have that conversation about why things were different and that kind of stuff. But honestly, I mean, I'm sure you would say the same thing. At the end of the day, they're just my kids and they know, you know, they know what's going on with me, but they're so used to it. And so immersed in sort of that culture and sort of the things we can and can't do that we don't have to explain it a whole lot why we can or can't do things. Um, 
we just we just kind of live life. And the cool thing is, um, you know, like I said in our earlier question, was you know they they really adapted to me. Um, um, I was telling you know you in a previous conversation that you know I've got one son that sits beside me in the car and kind of holds on to me even though he doesn't realize he's doing it sometimes. I just sort of an instinct. Um, they're both good about opening doors and closing doors, and um, they're they're good about uh, you know running me up and down the lift. Um, they're but you know at the end of the day they're they're boys, so they're not good at cleaning up their socks and, and their bedrooms <laughs> and you know all those things that you would expect. Um, you know we when we there was a period of time where we couldn't travel too much because it was just a lot on my wife. Um, my wife is like five, two and a hundred pounds. So, uh, <laughs> and, and just for perspective, I'm six, five and about 240 pounds. So um, it's, it's a little different. Um, so, you know, we, we got to that point where the kids were really helpful. Um, and we don't even have to ask anymore. You know, we get to a, to a hotel room somewhere and they're jumping out and they're unloading bags and we get in the room and they're fixing the bed and they're putting my clothes away and all that stuff. And it's, uh, I think those are the things that really impress me with, with my kids. And, and again, I'm not going to sit here and say I've got perfect kids because I don't. And anybody that tells you they do is uh, living in a dream world, I think. But um, they're lying. They're just flat out lying. Just flat lying. I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right, Kimberly. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody who, say, who says how perfect things are, I'm like, uh, looking for the hole in the story. Look, this yeah. is not all. So have you been home today? (laughs) (laughs) What was your greatest concern about becoming a parent? You know, um, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, it it was sort of a series of things um, changed differently, you know, changed depending on where we sort of were in the process. Um, You know, there was a time where we didn't know fertility wise, if I would be able to do that. And and everybody I talked to said, you know, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. I'm a quadriplegic. And it's something that's usually an advantage over paraplegic. If there are any, that's one, um, because it doesn't seem like that uh, function is um, as damaged when you have a higher level injury. Um, okay. So that was the first thing. I mean, are we even going to be able to have kids? And my wife was born to be a mother. And she told me that when we first started dating, um, that this was something that was really important to her. And so I, I felt that, you know, I'm going to feel real inadequate if we can't get to that point. Um, and she wanted, you know, she wanted to be a mom, not just... She wanted to carry the kids and, and do all those kinds of things and go through the pregnancy. Um, although, you know, that was a concern too. And then we got into that point and I, and I kind of felt a little helpless not being able to help her as much. Uh, but I guess my biggest concerns with the kids were all the things that you would think of. Like, um, you know, I talk about in the book when Bryce got hurt when he was real young at one point and I just, it was really a really helpless feeling. Um, but before we had kids, that was sort of my concern, you know. Um, Am I going to be able to stay with them by myself? Am I going to be able to participate in the events they want to participate in? Am I going to be able to, um, you know, plug them when something's wrong? Am I going to be able to hold them or carry them? Um, and honestly, I mean, one of my biggest concerns was, and I, I think a lot of men would think I'm crazy for saying this, but um, I, I wanted to help. And I, I couldn't help as much as I wanted to. I wanted to be able to get up and let my wife sleep and do that kind of stuff. Uh, although... Back in those days now, I probably would really relish the idea of staying asleep uh, through all that. But but uh, um, that was kind of a difficult thing. But, yeah. you know, we never we never pause the idea of having kids. Um, and that's uh-huh. the advice I'll give to everybody. It's like um, I had some really good mentors in my life that said, you can do it, uh, you know. And uh, that was very helpful. And when we move forward with the process, there's, there's nothing more rewarding in our lives, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I had I had some weird 
weird fears. Like I, I just knew that, okay, I, and I was, I was, I am blind. I had a fear that my child would have a fever and because I couldn't read the thermometer, uh, my child would die because I couldn't read the thermometer. I, I don't know why this was just the thing that I fixated on. Um, and it's so bizarre because I could tell you right now within like a tenth of a degree what my child's temperature is and always could. I just, I just put my cheek against their head, always could tell. But um, I think talking thermometers are more, you know, they're, they're but this is, uh, would have been like 14 years ago. I, they yeah. weren't as prevalent as they are now. So I, it, it's weird. I think the fears that we come up with um, and I, I mean, throughout the book there are stories of people who who had fears that just never materialized at all yeah um, i think that's more the rule than the exception i mean i had a similar thing where i would have these dreams about a fire in the house and me not being able to get my kids out and and you know that that obviously those things can happen but you know at some point i learned that the fear of that is not worth the anxiety that creates long term you know like um you don't want to miss out because you're scared to death and i get that irrational fear of things that hopefully will never come to fruition, but you still, it's still there. Something in your brain just won't let it go. You know, mm -hmm. I think it, I think some of it stems too from like, I, I am sure that non-disabled parents also fear things like sure. fire and fire sure. and fever, you know? Um, yeah, sure. But for us, somehow we have just internalized this idea that these are the deal breakers, you know, yeah. it's uh, uh, funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. So obviously, none of the the things that you were most worried about worried about uh, came to fruition. Is there anything that surprised you about uh, about parenting? I mean, probably the same things that surprised everybody. I mean, I um, our first son was born breech. Well, he was born emergency C section, and that was a bit of a a whirlwind. I remember, you know, doctor came in to check with my wife, and and within two seconds, I was sitting in the room by myself as they wheeled her out and took all the machines and stuff with her and that was a shock. But then I really, you know, I heard him cry and they brought him around in front. I saw him through a window and it was like that instant moment of, oh my God, like, first of all, how did this happen? You know, like, <laughs> we're here now, you know, uh -huh. the second part of it was like, I, I will never let anything hurt that guy. Uh -huh. And I think that's, unfortunately, that's probably not the case for all parents. Cause we just, you know, in the real world, there are just some really bad parents. Um, and I'm not the best parent, but I know one thing I would, I'd kill for either one of those kids or give my own life for them in a second. And that, that, you know, even my parents, and it's funny because I, I like to say this, but the day, the day I got hurt, you know, my parents have talked about over the years, how gut wrenching it was and how tough it was for them. And I never understood it until I had my own kids. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was just going through it as a, as a patient or as a participant in a, you know, pretty bad situation, but I'm in survival mode. They were in, my son could die. My son is injured. Now what do we do? And I never got, I never got their side of it until Micah was born. And, uh, and then I got it, you know, and it was a, it was a pretty real eye-opening experience to say, wow, like, how did you do it? Like, it's, I can't imagine anything happened to either one of my kids. Mm -hmm. Big deal, you know? Yeah, 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 it is. It's uh, parenting is like uh, walking around with your heart outside your body. It's just yeah. the vulnerability is, is constant. Yeah. And it's hard to describe. It, it is. It is. So uh, what, what would you say to uh, disabled someone who's disabled and considering 
parenting or someone who's uh, maybe disabled and already starting down that parenting journey, but ha- has these uh, anxieties and fears? What would you say to them? Well, anytime I'm asked, I always say, call me. Um, I, had to, I had some really good people um, that, that just listened. Um, Lee Gordon, who is, is in the book, um, he had had a, a daughter a couple of years before Micah was born, and he was such a, such a good guy through the process. And uh, he's quite a plegic as well, a little lower than me, but, but uh, just talking about how they maneuvered the world. Um, and I really kind of use that as a blueprint for, for our own situation. Um, and I had, you know, I had good parents, you know, I mean, I, 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 my dad is in his seventies now and, um, unfortunately has Alzheimer's and my mom's a little older than him. And so their lives are a lot different than they used to be, but they really, they really never gave me the opportunity to fail or they never really kind of thought that there was a different path for me to get to where I wanted to. They just treated me normally. Um, and, uh, and so they, they, they kind of set the, set the standard, but as far as parenting with disability is that don't ever assume that the rest of the world um, needs to be content with what you're doing, right? And I think we so often go, you know, well, I don't want, you know, I don't want anybody to say anything. They're not going to think I should be a parent. And that stuff happens. But you know what? There is nothing anybody could say to me ever that would take away the experience I've had with my children or that would ever make me think that I shouldn't have went through it. I mean, you could call me whatever you wanted to. You could say I was inadequate as a parent. You could say, how in the world is he you know, living up to what he should be able to do if he can't throw a baseball to them or pick them up when they're hurt or put a Band-Aid on their arm. There's nothing you could say that would take, take away the actual experience. So I say go for it because disability or not, you, you only get so many days, right? You only get so many rotations around the sun and, and I, uh, it's more fun to do it with people you love and care about, right? Yeah. And if you're scared to go down that road, you're not going to have those people to do it with. Mm-hmm. That is very beautifully put. Just beautifully put in the just your your story is uh is amazing and interesting and i encourage everyone to read the book um uh, celebration of family stories of parents with disabilities and i will have links to purchase the book in the show notes and thank you very much for talking with me jason i appreciate it and um Anyone who wants to get in touch, I'll have emails and things for for me and for the podcast in the show notes. So thank you very much. Thank you too. Thanks to Chris Ankin for music. Thanks to Joe Hodge for technical support. If you have questions or comments, send them to demandanddisrupt at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review. If you really like the podcast, go ahead and subscribe and tell others about us. Until next time, thanks for listening.
spells out.